the book of 2 Chronicles. You may never have heard a sermon from the book of Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. The books of Chronicles are stories of the kings of Israel. 1 Chronicles is the story of David. It repeats what you find in 1 and 2 Samuel. But there are no or very few uh, sins mentioned in the stories of the Chronicles. So, for example, David and Bathsheba is not recorded in the book of 1 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles, we only have the story of the kings of Judah, because the kings of Israel were almost completely wicked. So there are the stories of the kings of Judah, but not the stories of the kings of Israel. And, for example, in 2 Chronicles, it records Solomon, uh, Solomon's reign, but it does not talk about Solomon's sin with his uh, falling into idolatry. Here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we'll read verses 13 and 14. Well, let's begin at verse 12. 2, Samuel, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 12, down to verse 14. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 12, 13, and 14. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among the people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. These are the words of God in response to Solomon the king. You need to know the background here. And if you've been following our series through the books of the kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, you'll know where we are. We've done the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel, and now we're into the life of Solomon in 1st Kings. We covered in our last message the way Solomon built the temple, and we learned from that that it is not easy to approach God. Solomon gave many millions of rands, many billions of rands, to build the temple. And he gave 20 years of his life. 70,000 employees were building that temple. And when it was built, he called all the nation of Israel to join him for a national holiday. That's recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 or in 1 Kings chapter 8. And now, after Solomon has opened the temple, they have a lengthy prayer, the third longest prayer in the Bible. And then there are two weeks, 14 days, where they offer sacrifices, hear speeches, listen to music. An orchestra was there. Specially made musical instruments just for this occasion. There was feasting and eating every day. And there were prayers. And at the end of those 14 days, Solomon sends the people away. That's in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, <clears throat> verse number 10. He sends them all away. And then at the end, now this is very interesting. After the 14 days, God has not yet spoken to his people. And then he's going to speak. And we learn from that that God does not speak to us on our timetable. When the glory came down, when the cloud came down from heaven and filled the temple and the priests were not able to offer sacrifices and men and women rushed back from the temple because of the terror of God's presence, God did not speak. He only came down in a cloud what is called the Shekinah glory. And it was so, so tremendous that the people were terrified. They were frightened, as they should have been. 
But God did not speak then. Nor over the next 14 days while they offered sacrifices. And the whole assembly ends and they head back to their homes. And maybe Solomon was thinking, why didn't God speak to us? God comes on his time, not on ours. And so sometime later, here in verse 12, that's when Jehovah speaks. And it's an important speech. It's recorded in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 9, and in 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. And the speeches are identical. Whether you read 1 Kings 9 or 2 Chronicles 7, it's the same speech, except for these two verses. Verses 13 and 14 are not found in 1 Kings 9. And so in our series, Through the Kings of Israel, I wanted to stop right at this verse. It's going to prepare us for the next message on Solomon's life. Let's look at these two verses, verses 13 and 14. If I shut up heaven, notice that God shuts heaven. So that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send the plague among my people. Verse 14, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. There are three points to the sermon today. First of all, what God does in sending disaster. That's verse 13. In verse 14, we're going to see the response that man should give. What should we do? If God does this, then what must we do? And then if we respond wisely, what will God do? Those are the three points. Let's follow them here under this heading. When we turn unreservedly to God, He responds with healing and deliverance from our greatest problems. That's the message today. That's the message of this prayer. Are you having great problems? Then do what God says to do. Let's first of all see problem number one. What problems does God send? Verse 13. There are three of them. What's the first one listed in verse 13? Just tell me. What's the first one? Shutting up heavens. No rain. What's the second one? Command the locusts. Locusts will devour the crops. Maybe we don't think much of that. Maybe we have pesticides who kill the locusts or or, uh, push them away from the crops, guard our crops from them. But what about those places where where locusts would have destroyed all the food that the people could eat? What's the third problem in verse 13? Pestilence. Plague. Does your Bible say plague? Pestilence? Yeah. It's plague. Disease. (laughs) Some kind of sickness. Are we not experiencing that right now? Plague and sickness. Look down at verse 20. Verse 20, chapter 7, verse 20 says, Then I will pluck them up by the roots out of my land which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name I will cast out of my sight. I will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. There's two more disasters. National destruction. He will destroy the nation completely. And the fifth disaster in verse 20, spiritual desolation. This beautiful house that cost so much and took so much time and money and energy, God's going to destroy it. He doesn't, it doesn't even bother him. He'll completely destroy it. He cannot be held back because of the greatness of their sins. So... These are examples from Israel. But if you look through the Bible, you'll see many more examples. Can you think of times in the Bible when God sent problems on people? Let me give you a list of many of them. Exodus 7 to 11, God sent 10 plagues on Egypt because he was angry with that nation. 
for the way they had treated his people. Le Leviticus 26 verse 21 says, If then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sin. God will increase the plague because of their sin. 2 Samuel 21 verse 1, famine from the Lord. 2 Kings 8 verse 1, famine. Jeremiah 11 verse 22, no food. Plague, sickness, and disease. Deuteronomy 28 verse 61. 2 Samuel 24 verse 25. Amos 4 verse 10. But maybe the most shocking of all verses is this. Listen to this verse, Amos 3, verse 6. If a disaster occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? If a disaster happens, does it not come from God? I don't think many people read that little prophet Amos, whom my son is named after. Amos 3, verse 6, if there is a disaster in the city, hasn't it come from the hand of God? If we are experiencing a, a spiritual, a physical problem right now, we need to turn to God and say, it's come from Him. We need to search out why it has come. Why has He sent it? Amos 4, verse 10, same prophet, next chapter. I sent a plague among you after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men by the sword. Who sent the war? Who was responsible for the deaths of those boys? Jehovah. We have some kind of watered-down Christianity that says God only gives good things. God always wants to make us happy. When the Bible says, over and over, God has sent these hard times. One of the pains that God sends is foolish and wicked leaders. Listen to this verse, Isaiah 3, verse 4. And I will make mere boys to be their kings, and capricious children will rule over them. Children will be your rulers. Fools. They don't think clearly. How many countries of our world have been desolated because of the president, vice president, king, dictator, or governor? Well, I happen to be able to tell you today because a man named R.J. Rummel, a distinguished professor at the University of Hawaii, professor of political science and student of history, wrote a very large book. The title of the book is Death by government. And in the years 1900 to 2000, in 100 years, all around the world, he's calculated that 262 million deaths were caused by government. That includes the 30,000 that were killed by Robert Mugabe when he incited racist violence between the Shonas and the Ndebele. That in the 1980s. That includes when Pol Pot the dictator of Cambodia, in a communist uprising, killed four million or more Cambodians. That includes when Joseph Stalin enforced a man-made famine in Ukraine. A man-made famine is when there's not enough food brought on by man. That is, we are the cause. The dictator, the government, caused not enough food to be delivered and... it took the food from the Ukraine so that 5 million or more people died in the Ukraine in a man-made famine. And over and over, look at any continent and you see it. Death by government. Those foolish and wicked government leaders were put there by God. God sent them as one more of the ways that he brings his judgment. One of the pains that God sends is spiritual darkness. Deuteronomy 4 verse 28. As a judgment, Israel would be bound by idols. Wait, did you hear that? God judges them in Deuteronomy 4 verse 28 and he says, because of your sin, 
I am going to turn you over to idols. You will worship false gods. God gives them over to more sins. And because they are bound in their sins, they will spiral downward in misery and poverty. If you want to know where the poverty of the world comes from, you need look no further than the false gods and the false religions. Christianity only and always produces wealth if it is not stopped by false religions and wicked governments. But one of God's judgments when we are full of sin is to turn us over to false religion. Deuteronomy 4 verse 28. God sent an evil spirit to Saul, King Saul, three times in 1 Samuel 16 verse 14, 1 Samuel 18 verse 10, 1 Samuel 19 verse 9. It was God who sent an evil spirit on Saul. And if God sends an evil spirit on Saul, he can send an evil spirit on any of us. He can with, remove his hand of protection so that, that evil spirit will destroy your ability to think clearly. Sin does that. Sin confuses our minds. Sin changes our hearts. And it is part of God's judgment. How does this apply to the church? You may have noticed what I read comes exclusively from the Old Testament. No rain, locusts, plague, natural de national destruction. What about the New Testament? Because we are not Israel, we are God's chosen church. We're living under the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in the New Covenant. They were in the Old Covenant. So what does it mean for the church? God sends disasters on the church. Or, if, it, if you would prefer to think of it this way, God allows. He removes his hand of protection so that disasters may come on his people. Let me give you some of them. Number one, false Christians. How many people love money more than God, even though they talk about loving God? How many people have set their minds on the world... They are far more concerned about COVID-19 or government lockdowns than they are about Christianity. How many people have never even read the New Testament? We just had a lockdown of months long. How many people didn't even turn to their Bibles, but in a single week they watched more movies and TV? At an average reading pace, it takes less than 70 hours to read the Bible from cover to cover on an average reading pace. A great number of people who call themselves Christians who have never read the Bible watch more TV and movies in one week than it would take them to read their Bible. A friend of mine in the church that I was from in Chicago was an atheist when he was a young man. But hard times came into his life and he was greatly discouraged. And he suddenly felt that he needs to read the Bible. And he decided to read the Bible in a week. And he took a week off of work and read the entire Bible for the first time cover to cover. You could do that during lockdown. That could happen to you. I want to encourage you that the great disasters for the church are things like false Christians or money-loving pastors. This is the disaster for the church. Money-loving pastors. How many pastors do not speak with the fear of God? They preach, and you might pass around their clips on What's Up. You might see their clips on TV or on YouTube. But how many of them do not have the fear of God? Their sermons aren't baptized with God. It's jokes and humor. It's this, it would be annoying if it were not infuriating laugh that all the pastors have learned to copy. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. How many pastors have set their hearts on winning souls? I ask you in this town right now, how many pastors, their number one console, concern is to win souls? John Wesley, the great evangelist in Britain, right here are his journals. 
John Wesley said, I want to be out of breath chasing lost souls. How many pastors in this town are out of breath pursuing souls? I hope you could honestly say of me when I die, our pastor had one concern. It was the conversion of Vendas, Shonas, Tsongas, Afrikaners, Portuguese, and the Chinese in this town. And not just here, but all around the world. You know a true pastor because he is consumed with leading souls to Christ, as Jude, the brother of Jesus Christ, told us in that little book at the end of the Bible. And some save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. How many pastors are known for pulling sinners from the fire? I wish if I could grab you and pull you out. And oh, that my words would do that right now. God sends the disaster of money-loving false pastors. God sends, number three, the disaster of half-hearted, disinterested, backsliding, cold church members. Is that you today? Half-hearted, disinterested, cold, backsliding? How many church members care more about the bride of Christ than their physical health? How many church members today are distracted and disinterested in the church of God? Jesus thought enough of the church of God to leave heaven and come down to a place with great risk just on behalf of the church. Yet we are afraid to do any risk for the church of God. If there's even a half, half, a, half a rand risk, I'm not going to come. For the church of God, Jesus left heaven. And in Hebrews chapter 13, he resisted sin even to his blood. That is, he went, so, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12. He resisted sin so far until they shed his blood. Have you ever fought with your sin until someone attacked you? Half-hearted, disinterested church members. We can learn from the Waldensians. In church history, the believers in Italy for 500 years who served the Lord Jesus even at the cost of their lives. And at one point, 14,000 of them were attacked by the Catholic government. 14,000. They were deceived into surrendering their arms. 3,000 of them were massacred on the spot. The rest were taken into a concentration camp prison in 1655 in Italy. Of the thousands who went into that camp, only 3,000 came out alive. Of the 3,000, they were forced to walk across the Swiss Alps in the winter to leave their country. And at any moment, they would have been given their freedom if they had just said, we will not turn to Christ alone, we will follow the Catholic Mass. Any moment they'd be given their freedom. Today we would call those people, oh, they're just extremists. Those people are too extreme. Well, those people have been in heaven for 400 years, and they are far happier now than the half-hearted church members are here on this earth or will be after death. Disasters that Christ sends on his church. Months with no answers to prayer. He will shut up heaven and he will not hear. Isaiah 1.15 says, They will pray over and over, and I will not listen to them because of their sins. One of the disasters that God sends is lack of answered prayer. I could ask each of you, have you seen answered prayer? When was the last time that you saw an answer to prayer? And I don't mean something like this. It was raining, you said, oh, oh, I pray that it wouldn't rain, and then the rain stopped. I mean something you can say, no one can doubt that's God. I prayed for my wife to be converted, and God did something. I prayed for my child, and I see him praying by himself in his room at night when no one's around. When is the time that you have prayed, and you have seen God has heard you and answered you? I didn't understand. I was reading the book of Ephesians, and I begged God, open the book of Ephesians, and I was flooded with a love for Christ. Have you ever prayed that? When is the last time you have prayed and seen an answer to your prayer? 
When is the last time you've prayed and said, Oh God, I want to give 5,000 rand to the church planters in Zimbabwe. Lord willing, we're going to give money this week to the church planters in Zim. If you want to be involved with us, let me know today or the latest by tomorrow because we're going to send it up immediately. Some people have been giving us funds. We've collected it here. They're suffering. If you want to help, get involved. If you don't have money, pray. Oh God, give me 50 rand, 100 rand, 500, 1,000 that I could support people who are still preaching and evangelizing. When is the last time we've prayed that God would send out a missionary from our church? Join us Thursday night, 6.30 in this room. 6.30 to 7.30, we're going to pray right here that God would do a great thing and send out missionaries. Months with no answered prayer. God sends the disaster number five of years with no baptisms. How long has it been since we have seen people baptized in our church? I baptized in 2018. And then we accepted Dave and Bella but they were baptized at another church. When is the last time we've seen a believer born again and baptized? It breaks my heart, especially when I know that some of you who listen to me are outside of Christ and not yet born again. Or if you are born again, it is a recent thing and you've never testified to it with baptism. Years with no baptisms. The early church saw conversions constantly. Why have we gone so long without them? Number six, disaster that God sends on his church. Spiritual famine. Listen to this verse, Amos 8, 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the earth, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. And they will wander from sea to sea, from the north to the east. They will run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and will not Find it. That's happening right now when people rush off to churches all around and they will say, oh, we love the Bible. We want the word of the Lord. You ask one of them, what is the way of salvation? They'll say nothing about Christ. They'll say nothing about Christ dying for sinners. They might at the best say, I received Jesus. They won't tell you who Jesus is. Is he man or God or both? They won't tell you as he died for sinners. They won't tell you that he took on his shoulders all the wrath of an incensed father, a God who was filled with anger and was going to cast us all into hell because of our intense and ongoing sin. But Christ stepped in between and took that wrath on his shoulders. They'll say nothing of those things. They'll run all over. They'll fly, they'll fly to Nigeria. And there are some people who have come to this church who've told me that. I would go to Nigeria to find the word of God and you come back from Nigeria and you still know nothing more about what it means to be truly converted. God's election, Christ's dying for sinners. I know nothing of this. Faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone. I'm a stranger to all of it. I couldn't put it into a sentence. And God has promised he'll send this famine on the earth. May God deliver us from these things. That's the first point in verse 13. God sends disasters. He promised to do it to his people in the Old Covenant. And in the New Covenant, it comes in these six forms of spiritual desolation and famine. And we are experiencing that. How timely that this message should come right now. When we are in COVID-19, we have lockdown. And I'm just going straight through. This is the next sermon in the series. God has done this for us. When bad things happen in the world, we should remember that God has controlled them. What does God expect in verse 14? What does he want from us? There's four verbs. Before we look at those four verbs, I'd like to ask you, what does the world think? When disasters come, what do they look to? To what, to what do they look for a solution and, and help? Zambia's president declared the country was a Christian country. Some people sent me that video as if I would be happy. I wasn't happy at all. It will only distract them from what this verse says. 
I can't declare you to be Christian. You can sin your way into hell. And you must repent your way into heaven. I can't sin for you to make you go to hell. And I can't declare you to be a Christian. The president of Zambia came out and said, we declare Zambia as a Christian nation. I wish he wouldn't. I wish he'd fire his corrupt politician uh, cabinet members. I wish he would introduce legislation to stop abortion. Abortion was legalized in Zambia in 1972. The murder of babies. Every day in that country. Oh, but it's Christian. No, we turn our eyes against all that. We don't care that we're divorcing. We don't care that there's witchcraft everywhere. We don't care that there's uh, adultery and fornication and we allow divorce for no reason. We don't care that there's the destruction of babies. We don't care that there's injustice and corruption in the government. We don't care that the government is taking bribes. We don't care that the police are corrupt. Oh, let me just declare it's Christian so that you'll vote for me next time. It not only does nothing good, it does bad things. When foolish politicians and foolish pastors do things like that. Some time ago on WhatsApp, I received a message saying all the pastors are gathering for an online uh, prayer meeting where we are going to declare South Africa a Christian nation. I think that's part of the problem. South Africa doesn't need an online declaration that we're Christian. It needs repentance and humility. Our world is confused. Our world says we need prayer. Well, that's tricky. Because prayer is not alive. But many people act as if prayer itself is alive. As if prayer itself has strength. It doesn't. People say prayer has power. That's actually not correct. God has power. And if you pray correctly, your prayers might get to him. But remember, Isaiah 1.15, I already quoted in this sermon, God will not hear though they pray over and over, Isaiah 1.15. Isaiah 59 verse 2, your sins have closed his ear so that he will not hear you. We don't read the Bible. Psalm 68 says, God will not hear the prayer of a man who has sin in his heart. Proverbs 28 verse 9, the prayer of the wicked man is an abomination because he does not hear the law of God. Over and over, the Bible is explicit. God will not listen to you while you're living with a girl that you're not married to. God will not listen to you while you continue on in your sin, while you refuse to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, while you refuse to be baptized, while you refuse to fast and pray. He will not hear you when you refuse to lead your family to Christ. He won't. He's not listening to you. You can pray, it might make you feel good, but it does not touch the heart of God, and it does not open his ear. And when people say prayer has power, what they mean is, my own religious feelings, which I'm calling prayer, are a kind of power. And that is the worst kind of false religion. The third solution that the world offers is scientific experts. When we have disasters, they say, turn to the medical community. Let me ask you, have the psychologists been able to reduce the number of psychological cases, the number of psychoses? They're exploding. Look at the American Medical Association. They put out a guide every year with all the list of psychotic problems. Every single year, the list is longer. There are more psychotic problems, according to the doctors and the experts, since the time that psychosis was invented, modern psychology was invented. I ask you, if these experts are so good, then why are the problems multiplying? Over the last 40 years, there's been a dramatic increase in depression. If the experts are so good, why can't they fix this? Why can't they show us how to, have, how to produce a child? Not who can get a job when he's 21, but show us how to produce a child who obeys his parents and has good manners and shows respect. Ask any old person, do the children today know how to respect? Every single one that I've ever asked say, the children today don't know how to respect. Well, I thought our experts knew something about schools. If they can't even teach us how to get a child who obeys and shows respect, why do they possibly think they can give us a child who will be a profitable member of society and deserves to vote? In the ancient days in Greece, 
The education was focused on one thing. How can we produce a citizen who is worthy of voting? Today, we beg people to vote. Prisoners, anyone. We don't care if you, if you understand clearly what it means to be a citizen. We don't care if, it, if you can think clearly about how the world works or how God's laws operate. We just want everyone to vote. Why are we listening to experts like this? Why are we listening to experts who are confused on whether or not it's murder to kill a baby in what should be the safest place on earth, the womb of the mother? Why do we listen to experts who can't stop the spread of sexual diseases or alcoholism? South Africa is one of the worst countries in the world, one of the top countries in Africa. Of 192 countries surveyed by the World Health Organization, South Africa was in the top 20 worst countries in the world, just a little bit below Russia. Our experts haven't been able to stop the spread of sexual, sexually transmitted diseases, alcoholism. They haven't been able to give us good children. They can't stop psychotic uh, problems. They can't stop divorce. Experts haven't been able. Social workers can't stop divorce. Why would we trust scientific experts when the most important things in the world they don't know how to do? Yes, yeah, science can do many things. Science can give us plastic. Thank you, science. I'm sitting... On plastic chairs, thank you, science. You've helped me. You've given me the zipper. Thank you, science. I need that. But science is not sufficient when there are disasters in the world. Science can give us the machine gun to kill more people, but it can't stop wars. What then does God say is the solution? Look in verse 14. There's four verbs. Chris has already told us the first one. Well, the first one is humble yourself. What's the second one? Pray. What's the third one? Seek my face. Number four. Seek my face from their wickedness. Turn. Ten. If you have a pen, you can mark those in your Bibles. One, two, three, four. Get a pen, please. One, two, three, four. What can we do? What we hear about all the time is prayer, but no more than that. What can we do? Number one, humble yourselves. God will not listen to prayers without humility. I am amazed at how many people want to have prayer meetings, but never mention humble meetings. Why don't we have a humility meeting? We have, at least in America, we have prayer breakfasts. Why not have a prayer fasting? God will not hear prayers without humility. James 4, verse 6. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the best practical way to be humble is confession. Mark that down if you don't know that. The best way to be humble is to confess your sins. I'd like to give you now 12 or 13 ways to confess your sins. If you don't know how to confess your sins, I want to give you these. You can mark them down if you want or ask for the notes afterward or download the sermon. Number one, these are all in the form of questions. What laws have you broken today, this week, or this month? Have you lied? Have you gotten angry? Have you coveted money or a car or a job or a house? Have you been lazy? 1 John 5, 3, his commandments are not difficult. Did you disobey his easy commandments this week? Number two, has your life been characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. Have those things marked your life this week? Look into yourself. When you go to confess, you start in prayer and ask yourself, how have I sinned in these areas? What duties have you omitted today or this week or this month? Did you pray? Did you pray for your family? Did you evangelize? Did you read your Bible? Did you confess your sins? These are duties that God has given us. James 4 verse 17. If we forget to do good, we have sinned. Number four. What have you found pleasure in more than in God? Ask yourself that question when you go to pray in the morning. 
What did you enjoy more than God? Luke 10, 27, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What did you love more than God? Number five, how often have you forgot to pray for your wife, children, pastor, church, friends, family, and the lost world? How many days have you gone without praying for Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Malawi, the unreached peoples, the Muslims, the Buddhists, the Shintoists in Japan? When is the last time you've prayed for the atheists in Europe, for the materialists in America, for the syncretists in South America, for the islands who even today have not heard of Christ? They live and die in darkness. It is a sin, 1 Samuel 12, 23 says, it is a sin not to pray. Number six, how have you dishonored God with distractions, foolish words, and unbiblical requests in your prayer? How many times have you prayed in a, in a sinful way? James 4, verse 3. We ask and we pray in the wrong way, and therefore God does not hear us. Number seven, have you neglected to think of the cross of Jesus or the second coming? How long has it been since you gloried in the cross of Christ? Think back to the last time that your soul was taken up with joy because of the cross of Christ. Galatians 6.14 God forbid that I should glory or rejoice or boast except in the cross. Did you sin because you didn't do that today or yesterday or this week or this month? Do you have a habit of that sin? These are what you must confess to God. Number eight. Have you, how have your thoughts tended to be selfish, focusing on what you want, what you desire? How have you complained because you didn't get what you wanted? Number nine, how have your thoughts, have you been strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? Or are you nursing a fearful spirit? Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. We should not be mastered by fears of the government or disease. We should not be mastered by fears of our family or our church or our, our job or money. We should be mastered by the fear of God. How have you neglected your duty to speak to sinners about heaven and hell? I already quoted this verse, Jude 22 and 23. It is a duty to speak to sinners. Have you gone a day, a month, a year? Have you... When is the last time you've spoken to someone, not just about God or church, but about heaven and hell? When you die and stand in front of God, you will think yourself mad for not warning someone every day. If a day goes by that I don't speak to a sinner about heaven or hell, I feel unsettled. Robert Murray McShane, a great pastor who died before 30 years old, wrote... I ought to confess the sins of my youth, my sins before conversion, my sins since conversion, sins against light and knowledge, against love and grace, against each person of the Trinity, that is the Father, Son, and Spirit. Have you ever confessed how you sinned against the Father, and then confessed how you sinned against the Son, and then confessed how you sinned against the Spirit of God? I ought to examine my dreams. Have you ever confessed the sins that take place while you dream? Oh, that's not my fault. I was sleeping. Where did it come from? The sins of my thoughts, my often recurring actions, my habits of thought, feeling, speech, and action. This, brothers and sisters, is what gets me. Is that my habit is to turn to sin. I have a habit of getting angry at my children. Where does a habit come from? It came from me for how many years? Teaching myself that's the way to act. I need to confess that before God. I ought to confess the sins of my confessions. Confess the sins that when I'm confessing, even my confessions are sinful. I'm not confessing with humility. I'm not confessing with reverence. I'm not confessing with honesty. I confess two or three of my sins and then I start confessing the sins of someone else. Have you ever done that? Oh, God, save us. I ought to go to Christ for the forgiveness of each sin. In washing my body, I go over every spot and wash it out. Should I be less careful when washing my soul? Robert Murray McShane. 
wrote that as a young man. The second step in verse 14 is what? Humble yourself. What's the second step? Pray. Pray. There are very few words trickier than prayer. I've already dealt with this, but let me just make a few comments about this. Nearly everyone thinks praying is a good thing. We all feel that if we pray, then certainly we'll go to heaven. But prayer is only good if two things are true. You must have both of these. Does anyone know what they are? Prayer is only good prayer if two things are true. Does anyone know what the two things are? Then, then mark these down. If not in your Bible, at least in your mind. Don't ever forget them. From now on, you've never prayed if you don't have... You've got to have both of them. If you say, well, I've got one. If you don't have both, it's not a prayer. Number one, it must be done to the right person. Do you see the very next phrase? If we will humble, humble ourselves and pray, and what's the next phrase in the verse? Seek, face. Seek whose face? face? Who is God? Jehovah. Not just general God. Not the gods of your fathers. Not the gods of the prosperity churches. Not the Islamic God. People often say, God is one. There is one God and most people worship false gods. The Hindus have 300 million. The Africans, before they had a Bible, they had hundreds, thousands, and millions of shikwembu, mitzimu. The one true God, as the Zulu calls it, Nkulunkulu. He's above all of the other mudimu. There's one up on top. It's shikwembu And his name is Jehovah, or Yahweh. That is his name. And if you're not praying to him, it's not a prayer. He doesn't hear it. In fact, it makes him angry. So number one, you've never prayed unless you have the right God. And the right God has a son. Proverbs chapter 30, Solomon, who, who wrote this prayer, says in Proverbs chapter 30, what is his name, the one who rules the world? And what is his son's name? Solomon knew about it, even in the Old Testament. What is his name and what is his son's name? You're not praying to the right God if your God doesn't have a son and a spirit. What's the second thing? You are not praying if you are not speaking to the one true God. And number two, with fear. Fear, reverence, or in the New Testament, what do we call fear in the New Testament? I've said this before. Does anyone remember? What do we call the fear of God from the Old Testament? When it comes into the New Testament, what is it? Faith in Christ. Fear of God, faith in Christ. It's the same thing. You cannot pray and you are not praying and you have not prayed unless, first of all, it's directed to Jehovah. And secondly, it is with reverence and fear and trust and confidence. All of those are the same thing. They're all the same. In the Old Testament, God does not tell us to believe on God. He tells us to fear. Fear God. You come to the New Testament and Jesus says, believe in me, believe in me, believe in me. And if you look at the examples of what it means to believe in Christ, it's the exact same as what it meant to fear God. Believe in Christ or fear Jehovah, it's the same thing. You are never praying unless it is first of all to God and secondly with an attitude of fear and reverence. Humility, bowing down. That's why we bow on our knees. And Solomon, by the way, was on his knees in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, he was on his knees when he prayed. Many prayers will not be heard by God, and we must not forget it. Daniel 2 verse 18 tells us what prayer is in a different way. He says it this way, I desired mercies from the God of heaven. Daniel 2 verse 18. What is prayer? Seeking mercies from God. That's prayer. And did you see what I said? They're seeking mercies from God. What you have prayed when you go to God and you say, Oh God, I need mercy from you. Because that shows that we are sinners. Most people don't pray because all they do is bounce around and shout out phrases that they're used to. They just they get a few phrases and they just keep plugging them in and turning them around. Like a girl who has four pieces of clothes. She has two skirts and two shirts, and she just keeps changing them to try to make it look like she has more clothing. And some people, when they go to pray, they're very poor prayers. 
They don't know how to pray, but they want to show off to you, so they make their voice loud, and they just keep changing around their three or four phrases that they have. God will never hear that. Go to God and ask for the mercy that you need for your soul. Oh God, I'm dying. I'm falling into sin. My children are unconverted. Our town is lost. There are no true pastors and churches. God, come with power. Send your spirit. That's the way to pray. And nothing else is prayer. Number three, what's the third one in verse 14? Humble, myself, humble yourselves and pray. And what's the third one in verse 14? Seek Seek my face. True prayer has the God of the Bible as its audience. I hope it is not needed to be said, but never ever pray to make someone else think you are a spiritual person. You will bind your soul with sin. You'll bind your soul in darkness. It's self-righteous foolishness. Jesus warned us all about it in Luke chapter 16, verse 15. He said, you are the people who justify yourselves in front of men. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed in the sight of men is abomination in the eyes of God. You have this prayer where you say these words, but if you're saying it to please man, God's angry. Not only is he not hearing you, he's locking the door against ever opening to you. You should be very afraid. Seek my face. Seek God's face, not his gifts. Did you notice that? He says those who seek his face. We are not Christians if we want heaven without God. We are not Christians if we want health without holiness. We are not Christians if we want comfort without Christ. You're only a Christian if you seek the face of God. And you can say, oh God, put me in a shack and I'm okay. Take my children and I'll be okay. Take my health and my life and I'm okay. Put me in prison and I'm okay if I have Christ. If I know that my sins are forgiven. You see... God says, he's teaching us how to pray. Humble yourself, confess your sin, pray to God, and then seek his face. And what's the fourth point here? In verse 14, what's the first one? Fourth one. Turn, away from sins. Turn from your wicked ways. And here is the demonstration that we fear God. Psalm 97, verse 10. You who love the Lord, hate evil. You can't be neutral. You can't laugh at it. You must hate it. You who love the Lord hate evil. Carson, turn around. You who love the Lord hate evil. If you still sleep with sin in your heart, God will not hear your prayer. He's not some toy. He's not some genie that you can rub the bottle and out comes the spirit. Out comes the jinn. Out comes the Shikwembu, and he'll give you what you want. No, you can't trick him. He demands righteousness. Listen to this verse, Hebrews 12, 14. Follow holiness, without which no one will see God. If you are not a holy man, you will never see God. He, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you're not pure in your heart, you'll never see God. And at the end of that chapter, he says, be perfect like God is perfect. That's what he demands of you. He doesn't demand that you try. He doesn't demand that you get around to it someday. He doesn't demand that you have more good than bad. He demands absolute perfection. Remember, Revelation 21, verse 27. In heaven, nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination or lies will ever come into it. That's heaven. You'll never come into heaven if you practice a lie or if you have any kind of sin. And that's why repentance is the greatest test of all. How many men have told me they want to come to my church and be baptized, but then I find out they're living with their girlfriends and they don't want to pay lavola, Or they don't want to work out so that they're married. Let, just up front, Hebrews 13, 4. Adulterers and fornicators, God will judge. I tell you this out of love. He will save all. Every sin can be forgiven, but you must turn like this. If you don't humble yourself and confess it and turn to seek God and turn from that sin, don't expect any hope. In short, you are no believer if you do not put this into action. 
Our spiritual backsliding cannot be changed any other way other than humility and repentance. And I am concerned that great numbers of people go to church. Great numbers of people call themselves religious. Great numbers of people talk about prayer. They'll have a national day of prayer. They'll have a great conference in Johannesburg. They'll fill a stadium. But prayer and fasting and repentance, none of it. We close with this in verse 14. What will he do? What will he do in verse 14? Look, look in your Bibles, verse 14. You will hear from heaven and you forgive their sins and knew their land. How many verbs are there? He heals, I'm sorry, he hears, then he forgives, then he does what? Heals. By hearing is meant that God will dispose himself to be your friend. Do not think that God is your friend. He is the enemy of all those who do not repent. James 4, verse 4. He is the enemy. Ephesians chapter 2, he is the enemy. How many times must he say it? But if we repent, he will sympathize with you. He will share your burdens. That's what it means to hear. Number two, he forgives you. That means that even though your sins have gone on so long and even though they are so deep, if you will do what he says with all your heart, he will hear and forgive. He'll wash them away. I have a stain in this shirt. I can't get it out. But imagine if the whole shirt were stained. He can get it out. And number three, what's the third thing he does? He will heal. Now I need to, uh, we're, we're closing with this, but let me just make sure this is clear. By healing, we must go back to the covenant to understand what it means. In the old covenant, the Jews were promised physical healing and earthly prosperity. The Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites were promised that on earth. That was the old covenant. But God comes in the new covenant and promises something far greater. And if you are unconverted, you will not think it's greater. The healing that is promised here is not the healing of cancer. The healing that's promised here for the church is the healing of our sin, of our backsliding, of our lack of revival. It's our cold in different churches. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a church of 5,000 people, all who are on fire for God, all evangelists, all who forgived each other, all who loved one another? Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a church where they all sacrificed their money to send out missionaries? Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a church where every week there were true baptisms and confessions of people being born again? Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a church where people, all of them, read their Bibles? That kind of revival is the great problem with our lives. That's the great disaster. Not COVID, not lockdown, not losing jobs. That's the disaster. And God promises to heal that when we come and repent and pray. And I pray that it would come first in my heart. Has it come in yours? Has it come in your heart? You see, under the new covenant, the joys are these spiritual blessings. I want to give you some very great encouragement as this closing illustration 170 years after God said this to Solomon, the Jews had fallen into sin, but God raised up a king named Hezekiah, and he did this, all four of these, and God heard and saved the nation, the whole country. Book of 2 Kings. 70 years later, his great-grandson Josiah, 70 years later, the nation had fallen back into sin again. Josiah came and another revival came when God, when, when they did exactly what was written here. Do you see? God warned them about it and then he proved, it was like a prophecy. They fell into sin. God sent the disasters. Hezekiah repents. All the people repent and God sends his blessing. Same thing with Josiah. Then 600 years later, in the book of Acts, in the new covenant, the apostles saw 3,000 people converted. In this book right here, Brian Edwards lists 57 different revivals all through history. 57 of them. Five of them have been in Africa. 
in South Africa, 1904, in 1910 in Malawi, in 1930, Uganda, 1937, Ethiopia, 1953, Congo. How long until the next revival? May God send it to our hearts today. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, I pray that you would save us from our sins. I pray that you would give us this deep humility of heart. I pray that you would give us all these steps, humility, confession, true prayer, seeking of God, turning from our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. We're glad you're here with us today.